Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. Today's episode is sponsored by Apernio, an achievement acceleration company whose approach to professional development enables clients to gain insights and perspectives to live, work, and engage with more success. I'd like to welcome everyone to Mindset Playbook, and uh, today we've got someone that I think you'll find very interesting. Um, Lots of compassion and energy, which is, you'll find, contagious, and uh, just Remember, again, that the whole soul of this program is that we all have a mindset, no matter what we're dealing with, whether it's a problem or a recent success. And what we don't typically share are the plays behind the mindset that caused us to react the way we did. And more often than not, we can't really articulate it unless we go backwards and take a look at, wow, how did that happen? And the better we get at paying attention to our thinking, the more likely we are to have greater success as we move into the future. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Luis Mendoza, who's a son of two immigrant parents who came to America from Mexico in the hopes of one day pursuing their dreams. Luis was one of three children, now check this out, who fell in love at a very early age with serving others. Later on, his baseball skills led him to Paradise Valley Community College, where he played for two years and currently is attending Northwestern Oklahoma State University. He graduated with his bachelor's in health and sports science and will graduate with his master's of education in May of this year. One of Louise's highlights is creating his own clothing brand, which creates scholarships for future college students and entrepreneurs. His slogan for his movement is you are one of one, which means that we are all unique and we need to create personal awareness of our individual gifts that have been given to us in this precious life of ours so that we may give back to others. I'd like to welcome Luis to our podcast. Luis, your life quest of serving others is something special that you bring not only to work, but to your personal life as well. What experience have you had or event that took place for you to choose the servant mentality and why? Man, thank you so much for that intro. That that makes me feel that you wrapped my whole life there in, in a quick sentence. <laughs> that, thank you. That makes me feel super blessed that, you know, I've been given all those opportunities. And thank you for having me. Uh, by the way, thank you for Absolutely. taking the time out of your day and your week. And man, it's really special for me. So thank you for this. Absolutely. Uh, so as for, you know, being a servant leader and being a part of different organizations and different groups throughout my life, I believe that serving others is what we're all here to do. Therefore, whether you're in sports, on a team, and especially in your family, I believe that everyone is always serving each other. And when you fully understand that and can then develop that, I think that's what makes something work more fluidly. And then therefore people can understand what, what their roles are and therefore feel welcome, feel useful, and then also be taught new things. So. All right. All right. Well, where, where did that come from for you? That that was so important to recognize that almost putting others first is more important than how you're doing. Oh, I think my my parents actually taught me those traits and, and those characteristics. So my parents had always reminded me daily that I should always be helping someone and that if I was the first one out of an, of a place or if I was the first one out of the room, there was something to be done for the rest of the people that were still in the room. So I think I learned that one instance, actually, in high school, um, Mrs. Moore was one of my math teachers, and I, I remember unconsciously I had and subconsciously I had helped her with cleaning up the room after classes and she was my freshman math teacher and everyone else would leave and I would stop and take pencils up papers things trash that was on the floor and I did that the whole year 
you know, not knowingly. And I just wanted to help her keep her classroom clean. And at the end of the year, she actually wrote me a note that said, hey, thank you so much for staying back after every class and helping me clean the floor and the desks. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I had thought that she didn't notice or maybe wasn't going to thank me for it. And I wasn't, you know, expecting any recognition. But after that note, I think that's when my servant mentality and leadership quality really was pointed out. So I think that's what made me really take off with the things I do. No, good for you. Good for you. You know, a lot of people out there, and I have seen it myself growing up, that someone who does that is sometimes called a brown nose. Or did you bring an apple for the teacher too? Yeah. And and it's generally from people that don't understand the servant mentality. So they look at it as manipulative Mm -hmm. because they're coming from their own frame of reference, which is if I did that, I'd expect something. But did you perceive that in any other people and some of your peers? Did they ever remark about that or um, did that not come into play? Yeah, I think that that was a feeling I had throughout the beginning of my high school career. I actually came from a high school, I actually came from an area about 30 minutes from my high school. So I drove 30 minutes across town from Glendale to Peoria, um, passing four high schools on the way. Mm-hmm. And I did that to go play baseball. So my dream oh. was to be a professional baseball player. So I, I made you. that jump to go play at a high school that was currently a r- really great baseball team. And so I jumped, you know, different high schools and ended up there, which was a great decision. And I no- noticed that at the beginning, I had a very tough, very, very tough time fitting in because mm-hmm. I was a new kid, you know, a 2000 person school and I was the new student. So I thought in order for me to fit in, I have to help people. That was uh-huh. the only way. I thought, if people are going to like me, I have to give them a reason to like me. So okay. naturally I was helping everyone. I was assisting as much as I could. I cleaned anything I could. I stayed back, was helpful, carried boxes, just anything I could do to fit in or be told thank you. I wanted to feel like I had a home there and a place there. So I think that's where that came from was, always wanting to help someone. And okay. I, did, I did receive some, I would consider it a word to use that is like a backlash, like a, like the next day something happens or a negative talk. Like, Oh, like, why'd you do that? It was always a why. Okay. I never really had a, a reason why I did it at the beginning. It was more of, that's just me being natural, me surviving. It's just me yeah. trying to fit in to this high school. What do you think? Why do you think it became important? And not that it's not important to all of us, but that you fit in? I think that's super important. You know, it's an environmental feeling that naturally we want to fit in, whether it's fitting in our chair that we're sitting in or maybe fitting in, um, you jump in the pool, you automatically fit in because the water has enough space to fit you. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I think naturally we want to fit in places and the, the human mind is so, so special that, we want to feel even emotionally certain and comfortable. And I was not comfortable at first. So uh-huh. in order for me to feel comfortable, I wanted to feel appreciated, wanted, necessary, you know, all those words sure. that really make a human being feel accepted in, in a place. All right. All right. Well, you know, um, one of your friends, Walker, had, had shared Great with guy. me. Love Walker. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, that's the guy. He just told me when you entered a room, you just lit it up. Oh, man, he's, he's talking to you. <laughs> that you've got uh, such a charisma and such great energy. Um, what was the – how bad did you want to play professional baseball? Oh, extremely bad. I, I worked so hard. Did you? I wanted to, and I understood that I did not have the, the big major capabilities that most people had. So I had to work double, triple, you know, five times as hard. So I really wanted to play professional baseball more because I wanted to make my family proud and my parents proud and those around me because they all, they all loved baseball as well. So I thought, why not be the guy on the TV that they can then watch? Okay. So it was more right. of a pride thing within the family for them to be there one day. So mm-hmm. what, um, Wanting to play baseball so bad, um, 
what kind of sacrifices did you have did you have to make oh, for baseball? There's a whole a whole list of them. <laughs> so let's see. One of them was time management and being places that you didn't necessarily want to be, but you knew that this was for the better. I got for you. example, on, on Sundays, um, when everyone was sleeping in or hanging out, um, I would be at the bar at the ballpark taking ground balls or running, things like that. Nice guy, yeah. But that sacrifice of waking up say at seven on a Sunday meant falling asleep at 10 PM on Saturday. And, you know, in high school, that's not normal. No. Everyone, everyone stays up late at yeah. night, Friday, Saturday. And so things that don't was, start happening until 10 o'clock. Exactly. You know, nothing <laughs> opens till 10. Exactly. <laughs> so I understood that. And I understood from, from that point forward in high school was, well, the same people that are staying up late on Saturdays are the same people watching the games on Monday. And I'm like, I'm going to be the one playing for them to watch. Right. So I always wanted to be the center of attention. Okay. To being a professional. So I thought, well, why not? I thought you can only fit so many people in a bar, uh, maybe 100 people, 200 people. Well, you can fit 70,000 people at Chase Field. I'd rather go perform there than perform on a weekend. <laughs> so, you know, just that, that love for yeah. For being the well, best, that's something really carried me there. Well, that almost sounds like an oxymoron. The um, they the wanting to be the center of attention, but having a servant heart. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, yeah. That's, that's that, that typically awesome. doesn't that typically <laughs> doesn't work. You know. Yeah, and and I did how'd not. You make, how'd first. you make that work? Wow. Yeah. That's that's like throwing everything in a blender and then just. Make it a nice smoothie, huh? Right. Yeah. So I think at first I was definitely the shy kid. Okay. I, I was a shy kid, but I managed to bring people with me, which then created a, a movement of, of wow, um, he's doing the right thing. And let's let's serve. If we don't know how to serve, let's figure out how to serve alongside. Uh, so okay. I always wanted to be someone that someone could look up to. I had many cousins and young people in my family that look up to me. So I wanted them to have someone too, also that they could look up to. So. All right. From, yeah, so so that, that let me see if I understand this. You have this huge dream and yes. you're making all these sacrifices because what you might not have in, in, in natural ability, you're going to make up for with work ethic. Yes. And not that you didn't have natural ability or you wouldn't have gotten as far as you, as you did. So what happened to you when, and what took place where you realized that it wasn't going to be professional baseball? Man. And that actually just happened maybe last year. You know, oh, really? Alva. That recent? Yes, sir. So I, I came to Alva. I came to Northwestern to play my final years of, of baseball, my junior and senior year. And up till this point, I still thought, man, I'm going to go play somewhere. You know, based, right. this world is so big that someone deserves – I deserve a spot on someone's team somewhere in the world. And what position were you playing? I played third base and first base. Third base and first base. Okay. Yes, sir. So right. I thought, you know, someone out there needs a left-handed hitter. I don't know where they are. I don't know who they are, but someone out there does. That was my mentality. Okay. And so up till my senior year, I was playing well, having the best year of my life. And then May came around, the season ended, and that was that. So then it kind of came to a halt. Uh, and then the draft comes in June. And in our conference, I think about one or two players were selected, you know, okay. like the best players in, in the conference. So they were selected. And I'm thinking, how about me or the guys on my team? So none of us were selected. So I was thinking, okay. Okay. That, I think that's where that dream might have ended. Mm, and, mm. and that was May, May of, of 2019. Okay. And after that, I had actually, 20, yes, sir, 2019. And then that was actually the toughest summer of my life. Was it? Uh, of, yes, of, of finishing, finishing college baseball. But I actually had opportunity to go and work out at GCC and hit in the batting cages and run and, and throw. And during those months, two or three months of May, May, June, July, I had been contacting many teams in Mexico. Oh. So professional teams. There's a big Mexican league. Um, it's double A AA and triple A in Mexico. And I had been contacting as many teams as I could and just asking them if they have spots available or if they needed anyone. And two of them did reach out to me. 
Ah. And they said, hey, you know, we'd love to watch you. We'd love to recruit you, maybe even sign you. So we ended up doing a tryout out at Grand Canyon on one of their practice fields. And one of the scouts was a head scout for the Yaquis de Obregón. And he had said, hey, like, we love what we see. We want to sign you. And at the moment, I was excited. I was extremely excited. I said, let's go. Let's go right now. And then he asked me this question. He said, is there anything holding you back from going right now? We can sign you tomorrow and you can go right now. And I said, yes, there is one thing. And he said, okay, what's that one thing? And then I said, well, I have two classes that I'm finishing online right now. And I graduate in December. That's the only thing. And he said, oh, man. He said, okay, then we will have to wait a couple of months and reevaluate, you know, what we need in that, mm. in that moment. And then we can, you know, sign you then. And I understood that. I, t- I went home and talked to my dad about it. And he said, you know, what do you think you should do? I said, man, we'll have to finish. And in my mind, I said, just finish, just, just drop out of those two classes and then go play, go fulfill this dream. But then I always thought, why does it get super difficult when you're coming to the end of something that 99% you're about to finish? Why does it become so easy to quit? I kept yeah. asking myself that. Yeah. And it happens to everyone. Does it? Oh, yes. It happens in weight loss, in running a oh. race, yeah, and maybe, uh, maybe cooking, for example. You know, you cook this extravagant meal, then you have to wash dishes, and then it's like, ah, I don't want to wash the dishes, you know? <laughs> okay. I told myself, if I can conclude what is my bachelor's degree and finish through December, I will then be able to complete everything I ever do in my life. Mm. Ah, okay. That was like a, a small challenge that I gave myself that would basically set up the rest of what we're doing now. So um, after that, I, I basically de- declined the offer in the moment of going then. And the next two or three months were where life really changed for me. Hmm. That was the end of my baseball career there. And the next two or three months, I had been researching many things. I even called an Air Force recruiter. I was contacting different schools. I was up, almost applying to Chipotle. I was doing all sorts of stuff, man. Okay. And then um, there actually was one conversation that really helped me decide was I was having a conversation with a man named Austin, Alderman, and he asked me, he's like, hey, son, why would you get a job at Chipotle when a student that's a freshman in high school can go get the same job and you have a bachelor's degree, son. And then I said, wow, I never thought of it that way. So that's when I really be- began to, you know, look inward and, and think, okay, what, where can your abilities place you? Hmm. That's when I really started diving in. And that's when I reopened the, the box, the gift of art that I have. Oh. I thought, why not, like, why not do something with this creative talent that I have that, not many people have to help others. Hmm. I had been doing it for so long that I kind of kept it to myself. You know, art, I love drawing, painting, all sorts of things. And I thought, why not open that up to one day help people? And that was the thought, the thought process, the idea. And man, it's been a whole web of ideas and, and things that have happened ever since. And here we are now. So, yeah. And tell us where, where now is. Oh man, there's a lot that goes from there to now. So, <laughs> so the, that, that actually, that summer I created something. So I thought, why not create a logo? That was my first idea. Like why not create a logo that represents myself? You know, we all love wearing Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. We all love wearing other people's logos that help them fit in. Almost, almost all of us. Yes, sir. Oh, there we go. I love that one. I might need one of those. Actually. <laughs> All right. Yes, sir. And, you know, we also see trends, for example, um, yeah. kids and, and adults also nowadays wear, like, for example, the same Nike Air Forces. You know, everyone always wants to fit in and wear the same, whether it's shoe, hat, maybe the same style of pants, you know, all sorts of things that we as human beings try to fit in different categories with. So I thought, why not create a logo with my brand? But then also give back. Because what I've noticed also is that there are these big organizations, brands, and not many of them really, really give back or are really strong with giving back and make it known. So I thought, why not 
be a young kid with an idea and how fast can I make this happen in a timely manner? So I sat at, actually at Glendale Community College at a desk and I drew a logo which resembled my initials, L, M, and the third right in the middle, and also symbolizes a crown. And then also, if you look at it and you kind of stand it up, it represents the creativity of Disney. And the, the three, um, the back of basically Mickey's handprint and mm. the, the creativity of Walt Disney and just the way of, of exploding a brand and exploding a world movement. Okay. So all of those things incorporate to what the symbol means. Therefore, you know, being able to apply it to shirts and different things now and creating scholarships for incoming freshmen pursuing their education, whatever respective field they plan to go into. Yeah, absolutely. Man, yeah. That's quite an initiative. Man, it's been an idea that has been put out into the world and, and it's working really, really awesomely. So as someone who's trying to create something um, when their dream kind of fades away in front of them, and to me, you know, it, it seemed like there might have been a little more to that baseball experience and what you were offered that caused you to go, you know what, I think I should finish my education. And <clears throat> have you ever looked back and like some people do and say, what would have happened if I'd have taken that? I do. And I, I, I do, I, I treat that as a book. You know, okay. I, I, do, okay. I do open that book sometimes. Okay. I, I, I kind of sit at a table, you know, a, a, a fictional table and, and think, okay, let's open that book and look through it. Okay. I look at that book while I have the book of my current life open over here on the other side. So I have two books open. That's the, the what if and the what actually is. So I, I open that book and I look through it and I realize that there isn't anything there because it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Okay. Okay. And if it would have happened, then it would have been perfectly, you know, pictured and, and crystal clear. Then I look back at my life right now and I look at the past pages of things that I have happened. And then the rest of the book is infinite and they're blank pages. So it's, it's a book of, of, what could have been that will always be blank because it was never put into action. Then I have the book of what is my life, which has a million pages of colored pages, some white, some black, some colorful, some, you know, crime pages, some all kinds of pages. Mm -hmm. Then you have the rest of the book, which is blank and infinite. So I, I have, I don't have a very tough time of, of, you know, evaluating what could have been, because I have this fresh book of what's, what's next. You know, okay. what's happening tomorrow. So that, I love that analogy. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you about more often than not, and especially what's going on now in, in people's lives where they're spending much more time at home, they're working at home, they're trying to raise their children at home. They're, a lot of kids haven't been able to get back into school, so they're they're taking on more tasks than they had planned. And sometimes their their lines get blurred between am I at home or am I at work? Mm -hmm. And what the research says is people are spending three more hours a day at work, even though they're working at home. Wow. Because there aren't those parameters. And you're you start to look back at the way it used to be, you know, my children would go to school, I'd be able to work, I'd come home, I'd have that break away from them, you know, we'd be fresh. Um, I was fresh. How do you uh, keep yourself from spending too much time on those dark pages and, and get yourself back into the fact that that was then and this is now? I think it's creating a new playbook. Okay. A new mindset. You gotcha. have to, you, you have to very you have to be very very structured in your approach. That's the main thing. Okay. And you have to understand that someone like ourselves 
that have been trained to do something for so long, you know, the nine to five, the coming home, like you mentioned, and that being the norm, you have to one day just look in the mirror and say, life is different now. Let's, let's reevaluate and create a new plan moving forward. So I think that's a, that's a, that's an awesome question because I've actually had these conversations with my parents um, with being at home longer and, you know, seeing the different things, maybe seeing a new project at home that was hidden for a while. Now it's like, Oh, you know, that wall does need painting or (laughs) wow. You know, that sprinkler head had needed to be changed for the last three months, you know, things like that. So I think, you know, seeing that life is different requires a different playbook, a different plan. So I think a lot of that is structure. You know, it's, it's easy to follow a plan when you have the rule book or you follow the, the rubric. So I think it's creating a new rubric for yourself. And then the, the funny thing in this whole thing is that no one really has the right rubric. So it's okay to not have the right plan. Okay. But I think the same way someone tried something and failed for so long is where we all are right now. So that actually means that we all have to fail a little bit right now. That's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Very, that very refreshing. Um, one of the, what would you say has been your, up to this point in your life, your greatest learning that has, that has provided you with the most insight into living the kind of life you want to live? I mean, that, I, I believe that it's been the people that I've, I've had around me. So the influence, the daily influence is what has really shaped me to become the person I am. So the things that I listen to, the things that I read, the things that go through my eyes. So these three things have been the things that have, that have shaped me. So I believe that it's your environment is a big thing. And what not just what your environment is, but what you represent your environment to be. All right. So that has been it hasn't been necessarily one exact person or one moment. Because I understand that it's it's a daily, it's a daily thing that. You go from one day to the next to the next. So it's been my environment and what relationship I have with my surroundings. Okay. All right. And so it sounds like, Louise, you are you are open to coaching. Oh, yes. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. One of the challenges that most people have is they've had so many experiences, they start to believe they have an understanding now of what's going to take place. And it's how the brain operates. The brain loves routine. It doesn't like to have to keep figuring things out because it takes time and it's a very efficient organ. And so people get frustrated on their way to work and there's a detour or they get frustrated that they can't work, go to work anymore. They have to work at home because that's not what the routine used to be. And, and yet they also feel like they already got it figured out. So they don't let new information in. And, you have shared with us the ability to be open, to be ability to be coached, to be mentored. Um, it's one of the most important things in people's lives, but I think the most un- misunderstood. Because when you ask for help, you're not admitting you're stupid, you're slow, um, you can't figure it out yourself. Because Nine times out of 10, when you ask for help, you're going to get a different perspective than one you would have come up with for yourself. But how would you encourage people to be open to getting a different perspective on just taking a look at their own life like you have shared with us? Yeah, and I actually have have gotten to that that roadblock myself. I remember actually times where I thought I knew it all. Okay. (laughs) But, But Every single one of those times, I, I realized that I did not know everything, and that was okay. So I, I think a, a great way to encourage people to really go out and seek new information is to remember that if they knew everything, they would not be in the place they are right now. Okay. For example, someone maybe that has a couple hundred dollars in their bank account, for example, like I had myself you know, a while ago, I would have wanted to realize how to make more of those dollars. And now that doesn't just come in money. It comes in, how would I become more happy? How can I become more sane? How can I be more helpful? 
So I think if we all knew it all, we would not be where we are right now. Therefore, we should always go out and seek more information. So a couple of things that I've done for myself, I actually remember uh, many times um, through high school, especially and before high school, was when I wanted to become someone greater than I was. Therefore, I went to people that were that were doing what I wanted to do one day. So, actually, one great mentor in my life, um, Kent Decker, was one of my coach growing up, and he actually had me at one of my first practices at the age of 13, and that's when my life changed in baseball. I went from someone that was about five eight, weighing about 190 pounds, to then five ten, weighing 165 pounds. Oh, that, that was a big life change for me. And it was all due to my eating habits, my training habits, and also what time I went to bed at night. So, mm-hmm. and one yeah. of the things that really made me choose to live a different life was where I wanted to be, be and what I wanted to become. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is, is to evaluate, you know, daily evaluations of, am I exactly where I want to be? And, and the cool thing is that there are so many people out there that are so ready to motivate someone that trust me, if someone wants to be motivated, they will find someone that can motivate them. Yeah. So it's, and a lot of people think that there aren't any options out there, which the options are endless, but ultimately that option comes from within. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, I smile saying this because we all wish we were someone, but I think the moment you realize that you are the only one of you and you realize how really, how special that is, that's when you start to want to become someone else. It's a lot of words mixed in, but you know, all in all, when you realize that you are the only person you are, that's when your life becomes special. Hmm. So. Good point. Good Man, point. It's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of twists and turns, but hopefully I, I you know, ended up in the right parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the, um, the, the thing that you've helped us all kind of remember to focus on is it's, it's not out there somewhere mm. and that it's, it's where we are inside and how we feel about ourselves. And, and some of the challenges are for people that have had a lot of setbacks and people that have, have been the one that tried to stay after and help the teacher and then got ridiculed by their peers. And they, it was more important for them to be liked by their peers than to stay on the, the track that they were on of being helpful or whatever the case may be that we sometimes pay more attention to what other people say to us than what we're saying to ourselves. Mm. And it's so important that we're the ones that take control of that inner conversation. And man, I mean, we can, we can have that conversation about just about anything. And yet, as you've mentioned, what determines how we think about ourselves is what's going on in our lives. And that is unfortunate because now the circumstances are telling me who I should be instead of me making the circumstances the way I want them to be in my life. And then recognizing when things don't quite go the way I had hoped as you in your pursuit of, of professional baseball, it doesn't mean there aren't even more options out there than that. That your life hasn't been wasted because you made all those sacrifices to be a a great baseball player, look what happened to your work ethic. Look what happened to your discipline relative to how you treat your body and how you treat your mind. And the other thing is, is you were blessed and it sounds like you had some good coaches and some good mentors that everybody can give you advice, but sometimes it's not in, in your best interest. It's oh, yeah. more what they think is important for you. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have got a heck of a will you're, um, you've got an old soul. Uh, you, you have understandings that some people take years and years and years to gain. And then by the same token, you're going to have other setbacks that occur in your life and share with us what you do when something doesn't go the way that you'd wanted it to go. That's, that's a great question. Whenever something doesn't go my way, I always say it didn't go my way because it went someone else's way. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. For example, we've all dropped a dollar 
$10, things like that on the ground. Oh man, I, I lost, uh, maybe I, I misplaced $10 and, and they're in, in the world out somewhere. But then we've all found money on the ground. Oh man, five bucks. Heck yeah. It's my lucky day, right? <laughs> so yeah. whenever I forget something, lose something, maybe I drop a cup and shatter it. I think, wow, like someone else benefited me, benefited from that. So I think the world is so reciprocal that in moments of failure, someone else won. Mm. So mm. I think when there's a loss, there's a win. Yeah. And baseball actually helped me understand that. So for example, a, a trainer that I trained someone in athletics. So if I was not incapable of doing this squat, that trainer over there would not have a job to teach me how to squat. Mm. So I think yeah. whenever there is an incompetence or whenever someone is struggling of something, that's, that's the other answer. Someone is always willing to help. So yeah. whenever something does go wrong in my life, I think, okay, that's okay. Who's getting the opportunity here? I just look around because <laughs> it always happens, you know? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Where, yes. do you think you, where do you think you came up with that? Man, if I, if I knew that answer, <laughs> uh, I, hope, I, I hope I never learned that answer, you know? Uh, but I, I think just with, man, just with trial and error, yeah. um, a, lot of, a lot of not coincidence. I love the word coincidence, but it's not a coincidence. It's just universal plan. And God's plan. Okay. So I believe that things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And there have been many, many, many moments where things happen and you look around and no one's around and you, and you say, wow, that, that was God right there. Mm-hmm. So there was actually one moment where like, for a couple of weeks, I'd been wanting to go against the word of God and doing things such as being lazy and, and not washing dishes or things that I knew weren't in my conscience to do. Okay. For example, there was one day where I finished washing dishes and I dropped a, I dropped them. I had two sponges, a dry one and a wet one, the one that I was using to, to wash. And I dropped the dry one and the dry one stood up on its side. So never in my life had I what seen What are the it. chances of that, right? Exactly. So it goes in and boom. And I just, I just stop and think, wow. So I pick it up and keep going about my day. You know, people don't question for some reason when things go right, right? Everyone loves it. No, it, I deserve it. You know, it's, it's great for me. But when things go wrong, everyone always wants to point fingers. Oh, so yeah. there's always yeah. a reason for something. Yeah. And I, I think believing that is what really helped me understand, okay, if I deserve it, I deserve it. If I don't, someone else did. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the leadership class that I, that I have, one of the first fundamentals that leaders need to accept is they need to recognize that it's not about them. And it doesn't mean they're not amazing. doesn't mean they're not talented. doesn't mean they're not gifted. It just means that once it becomes about them, it's not about anybody else any longer. And there goes the team. Mm -hmm. There goes the engagement. There goes the continuity. There goes the, ability to be serendipitous. I mean, the the whole element of appreciating the sponge that didn't fall over (laughs) is a great example of how we do kind of take for granted when things go right. Yes, It's when they don't that all of a sudden we get into this disarray. And then, and then unfortunately some people get into the victim mentality and it always happens to me. And, (laughs) you know, listening to you, and the work that I do, it's so important that we recognize that the good news is we are part of something greater than self. And I think that everybody has to decide for themselves what that greater than self is, or otherwise they're going to buy into what somebody else tells them it is. And it's for them, it's greater than self doesn't necessarily mean it's your greater than self. But even when you get up in the morning, there's more people than perhaps you in the, in the house. And as you're saying, I hear you saying, what can I do for them today? And the, the, I think the whole magic is, is not getting to the point where you're doing it for them. And then you start to wonder when is, are they going to start doing it for me? Because 
you know, love is all about just giving. It's not about expecting anything in return. And that's when manipulation comes into play. And that's when the whole magic goes away. That's when the, the divinity is no longer present, that there's, there's not this opportunity to have, to be able to, and this is one thing that you have shared with all of us. And I want to ask you where that came from is you sound to me like someone who has mastered depression. They say the best cure for depression is not drugs. It's to go do something for somebody else. And you have, to me, articulated it in because you seem, Louise, to have an attitude of gratefulness. And I would really like to know where that came from for you, that you just seem that you're so bubbly, you have so much energy. And to me, the only answer is, is you're grateful. I am very, very grateful. And you mentioned something that actually sparked something in my mind about depression. Okay. So we, we all have it. And, and I'm so grateful that whenever that, that feeling sets in of depression, I realize now that it's because I'm taking a lot more than I'm giving. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking, expecting something. Mm. And if you look around, that's why a lot of people actually experience depression. Yeah. They're taking a lot away from people. And they're taking a lot of other people's attention to be focused on them. And their energy. Oh, yes. Yeah. They're taking a lot. And they're not giving back the thank yous, the you know reciprocal effect. So right. I believe that whenever I enter that that phase of depression, I go into uh, okay, what can I create now? Hmm. And that actually gives me a task to then create, to then show other people what I just created. Yeah. So I, I use that as as burning hot coal to create something. Hmm. And actually, recently I was in a state of man, like I need to create something new. I need to create something new. So I actually, I, I obtained a, a camper, you know, an old camper okay. that no one knows about. Actually, my family doesn't know. They do and now. My girlfriend and I, yes, sir. And I thought, <laughs> let's create something where we create this rolling house of creativity. Let's paint it. Let's renovate it to give people the, the, the vision of, wow, he, he created something without anyone knowing. And uh. And also, how long can I keep this to myself? To, mm. you know, because that's a big thing people can't keep nowadays is secrets, is intimacy with oneself. Yeah. yeah. So that's a big piece of what we're doing right now, my girlfriend and I. And I thought, let's do this, you know, secretly. Yeah. As an intimacy portion of life. And how can we do this to then one day encourage other people to really be intimate with themselves and really love themselves first? Because especially with social media nowadays, we always want to, you know, get an A on a test and post it and say, hey, I'm an awesome person. But no one ever posts. A, like me, like me. Yeah, love me. Yeah. No one ever posts a, man, I got an F on this test like this. No one posts that. Yeah. Everyone's always, you know, posting the, the diplomas, the job transfers. No one ever posts that they, they just got fired. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. a big part of that, you know, when, when mentioning depression and giving myself something to do is, okay, I'm taking a lot more than I'm giving. So let me, let me exchange that. Hmm. Yeah. So now Good. I'm going to give more and expect less. And Very, nice. Yeah. Very nice. You know, and what's so cool, you give more, expect less and end up getting more. Yeah. And, and then we, we look around and think, where did that come from? I don't deserve yeah. that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's, that's so important too, is to be deserving, to feel you, you know, that you, you deserve to have a wonderful life, just not that at the expense of another human being. Yes. And um, what, before we wrap this up, and it's gone too fast, what um, what kind of art are you into? What are you What are you creating? What are you so, are you type of painting? Uh, do you? So at first, I started with the passion for love of painting things and and replicating images. Okay. So, in high school, I started actually doing animals, doing natural wildlife, sunsets mm-hmm. with brush and a paint and acrylic paints. And I just fell in love with mixing colors. I love mixing blues and reds to make purple and, and white and orange to make, you know, a lighter tint. So I understood that's when I started learning about color, light, and also how to make something look 3D. Mm. So 
if you notice any object in your room right now, it has three shades of colors. So for example, the, the plant right on over your left-hand shoulder. Okay. That has three, actually right-hand shoulder. Um, that has three colors. It has the white, the dark, and then it has a glow to it. So I understood that every object that we see with our eyes has that glow. And I realized it's super simple to actually replicate that on mm. an art piece. Nice. So I thought, why not try that? And then I did and, you know, became decent at it. And I've been working on it ever since. All right. All right. So, Are you able to sell any of it? Or are people asking you to do things for them with it? Currently, I'm doing commissions. So people ask me, hey, can you paint something for me? And ah. um, turning it around as fast as I can with everything I have going on. So I gotcha. yeah. yes, So if um, if people want to be get a hold of you or, or find out how to have some artwork done or um, or advice, how do they do that? So the best way is on my Instagram, my okay. social media account. That one has um, all of my works that I've ever done on okay. Instagram. And then the best way is actually to direct message me on Instagram. Okay. That way I love having conversations about where someone's at and how I can help them. That's the main thing is, is if someone messages me, the first thing I'm going to say is, hey, like, how can I help you? How can I, you know, let's talk about whatever you're feeling. All right. Fantastic. Yes, sir. And hopefully that helps them have a better day. Absolutely. I'm never, you know, I never want to take anything from anyone. I just want to give them hopefully hope to to finish that day great and start the next one even better. All right. Outstanding. Well, it has been a real joy to be to be spending time with you. And pardon? The pleasure is mine. I I love, love speaking with you. Thank you very much. What would you what would you like to share with people out there that are um you know, at a multitude of different places in their lives. And they've taken a moment to listen to this podcast. Um, and whatever gets into their head, as is with all of us, we process, we think about. And it either takes us to another idea, and now we're not listening anymore. Mm-hmm. Or we're really doing some serious listening so that we can find out more about how could I be doing that? And where am I not appreciating what's going on in my life, even if I'm at a time when not much is going on in my life. What kind of departing words would you like to share people, share with people to kind of um, to kind of help lighten the load or to help them be even better leaders? Man, that's a very that's a very big question. And and I know I was looking for that answer uh, a year ago today. I was, okay. I was searching hard. I was looking. I was willing for someone to tell me the exact plan to follow. Yeah. And what I, what I realized was that I, first that I was capable of it, not because I, I was a good listener or because I had ears and eyes and you know arms to write things down. But what I realized was that if I can listen, if I can pay attention, if I can have a dream, I can do anything. So the cool thing is that we all have that in common. Yeah, We all have our minds that, that are so special. We all have the ability to dream. We all are here on this planet that is so special. And one actually very interesting thing is, is that I've, I tell myself daily is that we are all here on this planet for such a short amount of time, but we think that our problems are so big. Hmm. So I think whenever you come to terms with the end of life, it helps you actually appreciate life. Gotcha. gotcha. Because we never know when that's coming. Yeah. So, and I live life as if, you know, next the next two years are not granted or they're not mm-hmm. promised. So I believe that if you can do something right now and you're able to, you should do it. All right. You know? and, and for example, if someone has the idea of, oh man, Camelback Mountain looks beautiful. I've never hiked it. Well, a Saturday morning, you're not doing anything. It'll be open. Go ahead. Walk up that mountain. It'll be tough, but then you can go home and say, man, on, you know, during the week on Tuesday, I thought about going up that mountain. Saturday, I'm going to go up that mountain. Yeah. And it all comes with the plan and simple things like that really start to change life because then that's going to turn into, oh man, during the summer in August, let me go to Cancun. Yeah. The same way you chose to go to that mountain on that Saturday, three months ago, all of a sudden you're going to select 
that flight that goes to Cancun in August, that's the same muscles, same muscle working, the right. same, the same attitude to create an idea, do it, create an idea, do it. And man, it's, it's special. It's a special. It is, it is special. And it's been a special hour talking with you. And I, oh, man. I thank you so much for the time. We could have gone in a multitude of directions. Oh yes, we could have. And, uh, I just uh, thank you again. And those of you that um, have appreciated listening to Luis, um, you want to help him with his scholarship funding and to help those that are in need to, but yet still have the dream that they want to get educated, you know, make sure that you, that you think about Luis and, and find a way to, to assist him. Also, um, we get together to take a moment to just think about our thinking and to recognize that everything takes place from there. As Louise said, if you think about climbing Camelback and then you decide when, you take action and you're not surprised on Sunday when you look back and you actually climbed Camelback. And it goes with everything else in our lives is get an idea and find the action necessary to pull it off as opposed to getting an idea and talking yourself out of it as to I'm not in good shape and I've never climbed before. And so therefore you turn on the television again and watch someone else climbing and Whoa. start doing your own climbing, doggone it. Um, <laughs> Love that. I think we've all learned from you, my friend. And those of you that um, you hear the music coming now, you'll be listening to Walker introduce our, our next guest. Um, but I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough, Louise, and appreciate you, who you are, what you're doing, and wish you all the best on your journey. Thank you so much, Larry. It was, it was awesome being here, and, and this will definitely not be the last time speaking with you. All right. When I come back to Phoenix, we can sit down and talk and, and drink coffee together and love share it. more ideas because, I, man, this is what it's about. All right. All right. Take care, my friend. All right, you too. Thank you so much. And all the best to all of you out there, and we'll, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we ask that you please subscribe and share with your friends and associates. In our next podcast, Larry shares the importance of enjoying your own life so others may enjoy theirs. That to start something is great, but to finish is divine and how winning is a mindset, not something accomplished only by the few.